The Old Testament reading for this, the 18th Sunday after Pentecost, which serves as the text for our sermon this morning, comes from the prophet Ezekiel, the 18th chapter. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you mean by repeating this proverb concerning the land of Israel? The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, declares the Lord God, this proverb shall no more be used by you in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not just. Hear now, O house of Israel, is my way not just? Is it not your ways that are not just? When a righteous person turns away from his righteousness and does injustice, he shall die for it. For the injustice that he has done he shall die. Again, when a wicked person turns away from the wickedness he has committed and does what is just and right, he shall save his life. Because he considered and turned away from all the transgressions that he had committed, he shall live. He shall surely live. He shall not die. Yet the house of Israel says, the way of the Lord is not just. O house of Israel, are my ways not just? Is it not your ways that are not just? Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel. Everyone, according to his ways, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed, and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. This is the word of the Lord. He will command his angels concerning you. Bless the Lord, O my soul. The epistle reading comes from Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, the second chapter. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad. And rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. And this is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel comes to us according to St. Matthew, the 21st chapter. When Jesus entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, 
I also will ask you one question, and if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say, from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say, from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And this is the gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. God begins our Old Testament reading by admonishing Israel for speaking this false proverb, for making it their motto. God says that this saying should not be used by Israel any longer. But what exactly does the saying mean? The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. The fathers have done something wrong, something foolish, but it's the children whose faces pucker whose teeth get zinged. The sins of the previous generation are now being paid for by the current one. The fathers have sinned and the children are being punished. That's what this proverb is saying. And that was Israel's mentality. They were being made to pay for all the wrong that their ancestors had done. They were suffering the consequences of the sins of the previous generations. All the woe and misery in their lives, all the servitude and plagues and droughts and famines, all of it was because of what their forefathers had done. Now it is true that sin oftentimes has multi-generational consequences. When a father despises God's word, his children are likely to do the same, and their children and their children, and so forth. God himself proclaims this when he gives the Ten Commandments and says that he is a holy God who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Sin has long-term consequences. If you set a sinful example for your children, they are likely to follow in your footsteps and suffer the same ways that you have. Your greed, your debauchery, your drunkenness, your foul language, your lack of concern for the church, all these sins will teach to your children and they will be passed on and they will live them out in their lives. You'll eat the sour grapes of sin and their teeth will be set on edge. And so as with most worldly proverbs, there is some truth to this saying. So why is God so upset about it? Why is he demanding that this proverb no longer be used in Israel? Well, because while there is a wee bit of truth in the saying, that's not how Israel was using it. They weren't using it as a warning to remind themselves to bring their children up right in the ways of God. They were using it as a shield to proclaim themselves innocent of any sin. They loved looking back at previous generations, pointing out their wrongs, their shortcomings, their sins. 
all the while pretending that they themselves were doing no wrong. They were innocent victims that God was wrongly punishing. Sound familiar? Of course it does. That's our culture today in a nutshell, isn't it? Judging all history by our now perfect standards, decrying the wicked, evil, sinful deeds of the bath of the past, blaming all wrongs and suffering on our forefathers, gleefully decrying the sins of the past and the sins of those around us, while claiming themselves to be holy, innocent, and righteous. They can see the sins of everyone but themselves, and they will make everyone pay. They are the holy crusaders who are without sin or blemish. All the wrong in the world, all the looting and rioting, burning down cities, killing in the name of justice, it's not their fault, it's someone else's. It's the fault of the past, the fault of our history, the fault of the system, the fault of the patriarchy, the fault of the other political party, the fault of those who disagree with them, the fault of those they are looting. It's everyone else's fault, but certainly not theirs. They're entirely innocent and unjustly forced to suffer the consequences of everyone else around them. That's their motto, isn't it? But it's yours too, of course. Don't get too smug here about how pastor's really sticking it to those people. Because if you were relishing that last little bit, you are just as guilty as they are. And so am I. And so is everyone. That's our nature. From the beginning of time, mankind has always tried to make it someone else's fault. Adam and Eve sinfully ate the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden. The one rule that God gave to them. And when God calls them on it, gives them the opportunity to confess, what do they do instead? Point fingers. Eve says, hey, it's not my fault. The devil made me do it. And besides, Adam, he ate too. Adam says, oh, it's not my fault. Eve did it first. And God, you're the one who gave me Eve, so really it kind of comes down to you on this one. They were both totally innocent victims who shouldn't be held accountable for their sinful deeds. And nothing has changed for mankind since then. We hear God's word condemn sin, and we deflect it to those people outside the church, to the people of Israel way back when, to our forefathers who didn't know any better, to anyone except us. Sin isn't our fault. And if, by chance, God's word truly does convict us that we are guilty, truly does show us that it's not just others who are sinning but us, Well, it's still obviously not our fault. There's always an exception for us. Always someone else who's more to blame. Someone or something that's actually responsible for it instead of us. We can't help that we spend all our time and money at the bar. That's all there is to do in a small town. We can't help that we don't take God's word seriously. The pastor needs to do a better job at it. It's not our fault that we sleep around. That's just our natural instinct. We have not, no choice but to live together outside of marriage because the economy is so bad. Homosexuality, poor stewardship, vulgar language, drunkenness, pornography, lying, gossip, hatred, anger, abuse. None of it's our fault, right? Because that's just how we were brought up. 
Or that's just how God made us. Or that's just the way our society is now. Or that's just something I can't control. Or that's just what I have to do to make a living or to make ends meet or to be popular or to make them love me. It's my DNA. It's my upbringing. It's my oppressive society. It's my intersectionality. It's my lack of money. It's my overabundance of money. It's my ancestors. It's, 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 it's. The fathers ate some sour grapes somewhere along the line, and I'm being forced to suffer for it. But make no mistake, it's not my fault. As I live, declares the Lord God, this proverb shall no more be used by you. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father, as well as the soul of the Son, is mine. The soul who sins shall die. Stop pretending it's not your fault. You sinned. You did it. Nobody else. Nobody forced the alcohol down your throat. Nobody took over your body to make you lie or swear or take God's name in vain. Nobody held a gun to your head and made you sleep with someone or look at pornography. You sinned. You broke God's commandments. You turned away from the church. You lusted after someone. You cheated and stole. You broke your marriage vows. You failed to tell other people about Jesus. You hated. You gossiped. You lied. You are to blame. You sinned. It is your fault. And it's your sin. And you are responsible no matter who or what else you try to blame. You are a sinner. You are guilty. And when you stand before God on Judgment Day, all your pathetic, flimsy excuses, all your protests that it's not your fault, all your finger-pointing, it will all mean nothing. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. You are a sinner. And if you try to claim you aren't, if you try to claim it's not your fault, you will die and stand condemned before God's holy judgment. Don't ever forget that by God's holy word, you are a sinner who deserves only eternal wrath and condemnation. But also never forget that by that same holy word, you have nothing to fear. Because that precious word of God, that never changes, that proclaims our sin, it also proclaims that despite that sin, despite the fact that it is totally, 100% your fault, when you confess your sins, God is faithful and just and cleanses you of all unrighteousness. This is what we poor, miserable sinners forget so often. We're so busy trying to pass the buck, so busy pointing fingers and trying to blame someone else, that we forget there is one who willingly takes the blame for us, willingly takes our place beneath the righteous judgment of God. We are indeed sinners. It is absolutely our fault. But when we confess our sin, when we look to God's word in faith, all of our guilt, All of our shame, all of our sin, it is taken away from us completely. 
We wretched sinners who are so terrible, so filthy, who compound our sin by trying to blame others or pretend it's not actually sin, we are proclaimed completely innocent, cleansed of all our transgressions fully and freely by the blood of Jesus Christ. This is what our Christian faith is all about. The gracious and totally undeserved gift of salvation through the cross and empty tomb of Jesus Christ. God's word convicts us of our sin and shows us that we cannot blame others, that it truly is our fault. But then it drives us to the cross. It shows us not only that we desperately need a Savior because we can't save ourselves, but that that Savior has come for us and has won the eternal victory for us in full. From the moment sin entered into the world and we started blaming others, God promised a Savior who would freely take all the blame upon himself. Jesus Christ, fully God, omnipotent and eternal, humbled himself to take on our flesh, to enter into his own creation and place himself beneath his own perfect law. And he, unlike anyone else, he alone fulfilled that law perfectly, never once sinning, needing no excuses or others to blame. But then, out of love, out of grace, out of mercy that we sinners didn't deserve, he took upon himself all the sin of the world. Yours and mine's and everyone's. All of it. Every time you violated his commandments, every time you blamed someone or something else, every time you sinned, it was laid upon Jesus Christ, the spotless Lamb of God, who offered himself as an atoning sacrifice in your place. God took on human flesh for one purpose, to suffer and die in your place. He took all of your sin upon himself, and with it all the punishment, all the torture, all the death. The hell that should have been yours, he took upon himself to set you free, to wash you with his blood, to make you whiter than snow. Every transgression you ever committed, every sinful thought, word, and deed of yours, all of it was your fault alone, but he freely paid the penalty that you earned. He suffered and died for you, to set you free from all of your sin, to give you not a chance to do a little bit better, but to proclaim you holy, innocent, and righteous, to give you the gift of heaven, to take you from being blind and dead and his enemy to living eternal life in heaven, walking this earth as his ambassador and beloved child. His death paid in full for all of your sin. And his resurrection gives you the absolute guarantee of eternal paradise. All who look to him in faith, all who confess their sin and trust in his salvation, we will rise to new life and we will dwell with him forever in his endless paradise. Now this doesn't mean that we can just live like anarchists and stop caring about sin. As a Christian, you are called to live by God's word. You are called to practice self-control and discipline. You are not to let sin enslave you again, and you are to set a godly example for those around you. And as you do so, you will greatly benefit from the boundaries and rules that your loving Heavenly Father has set for you. 
You will spare yourself so much heartache and pain, so much suffering and shame. But when you fail, which you will do, you don't need to make flimsy excuses and blame everyone and everything else. Repent. Confess your sin. Admit your wrongdoing. And know that it is forgiven completely by the cross and empty tomb of Jesus Christ. Don't take pride in your sin, but have confidence in your Savior. So let's stop pretending it's not our fault. Let's stop hiding behind the proverb Israel used, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Let's stop pointing fingers at the past, at society, at our parents, at God, at the system, at our DNA, our neighbors, anything else that we might be tempted to use to justify our sin and claim that it's not our fault. Because you know what? It is your fault, and you are indeed a sinner. But by the grace of God, you are a forgiven sinner. Don't look around for someone else to blame. Look to the cross of Jesus Christ and see your sin paid in full. Look to his empty tomb and see that your sin no longer condemns you. Seek to keep that sin from mastering your life. Live by his Holy Spirit and by his law and reap the bountiful benefits that your heavenly Father gives you through his perfect word. And trust in that word. Have faith in it, for it is true, eternal, and perfect. And it and it alone gives you freedom from your sin. Not with finger pointing, flimsy excuses, or claiming it's not your fault but by the undeniable eternal truth and grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That even though you are a sinner who deserves only hell, by his cross alone, by his empty tomb alone, you are forgiven of every one of your sins, and eternal life in heaven is yours. Thanks be to God. Amen.